All right, let's read chapter 21 and 22. Wait, not just 21 today, and then we'll do 22 and 23 tomorrow. Um, all right, so Jonas and the giver have made this plan. They're very excited about it. They know it's going to work. They have very full confidence that they've got this. Let's see if they're right. Usually when men make plans, things go awry. Chapter 21. It would work. They could make it work, Jonas told himself again and again throughout the day. But that evening, everything changed. All of it. All of the things they had thought through so meticulously fell apart. That night, Jonas was forced to flee. He left the dwelling shortly after the sky became dark and the community still. It was terribly dangerous because some of the work, cr work crews were still about, but he moved stealthily and silently, staying in the shadows, making his way past the darkened dwellings and the empty central plaza toward the river. Beyond the plaza, he could see the house of the old with the annex behind it, outlined against the night sky, but he could not stop there. There was no time. Every minute counted now, and every minute must take him farther from the community. Now he was on the bridge, hunched over on the bicycle, pedaling steadily. He could see the dark, churning water far below. He felt surprisingly no fear, no any regret at leaving the community behind. But he felt a very deep sad sadness that he had left his closest friend behind. He knew that in the danger of his escape, he must be absolutely silent. But with his heart and mind, he called back and hoped that with his capacity for hearing beyond, the giver would know that Jonas had said goodbye. So he's had to leave suddenly for some reason. It had happened at the evening meal. The family unit was eating together as always. Lily chattering away, mother and father making their customary comments and lies Jonas knew about the day. Nearby, Gabriel played happily on the floor, babbling his baby talk, looking with glee now and then toward Jonas, obviously delighted to have him back after the unexpected night away from the dwelling. Father glanced down toward the toddler. Enjoy it, little guy, he said. This is your last night as visitor. What do you mean? Jonas asked. Father sighed with disappointment. Well, you know he wasn't here when you got home this morning because we had him stay overnight in the nurturing center. It seemed like a good opportunity with you gone to give it a try. He'd been sleeping so soundly. Didn't it go well, Mother asked sympathetically. Father gave a rueful laugh. Ha! That's an understatement. It was a disaster. He cried all night, apparently. The night crew couldn't handle it. They were really frazzled by the time I got to work. Gabe, you naughty thing, Lily said with a scolding little cluck toward the grinning toddler on the floor. So, Father went on, we obviously had to make a decision. Even I voted for Gabriel's release when we had the meeting this afternoon. Jonas put his fork down and stared at his father. Release? he asked. Father nodded. We certainly gave it our best try, didn't we? Yes, we did, Mother agreed empathetically. Lily nodded in agreement, too. Jonas worked at keeping his voice absolutely calm. When? he asked. When will he be released? First thing tomorrow morning. We have to start our preparations for the naming ceremony, so we thought we'd get this taken care of right away. It's bye-bye to you, Gabe, in the morning, Father had said in his sweet sing-song voice. So they decided they're going to kill Gabriel. Jonas reached the opposite side of the river, stopped briefly, and looked back. The community where his entire life had been lived lay behind him now, sleeping. At dawn, the orderly, disciplined life that had been he had always known would continue again without him. The life where nothing was ever unexpected or inconvenient or unusual. The life without color, pain, or past. He pushed firmly against the pedal with his foot and continued riding along the road. It was not safe to spend time looking back. He thought of the rules he had broken so far, enough that if he were caught now, he would be condemned. First, he had left the dwelling at night, a major transgression. Second, he had robbed the community of food, a very serious crime, even though what he had taken was leftover, set out in the dwelling doorsteps for collection. Third, he had stolen his father's bicycle. He had hesitated for a moment, standing beside the bike port in the darkness, not wanting anything of his father's and uncertain as well, whether he could comfortably ride the larger bike when he was so accustomed to his own. But it was necessary because the child seat was attached to the back, and he had taken Gabriel, too. So Jonas has rescued Gabriel. 
He could feel the little head nudge his back, bouncing gently against him as he rode. Gabriel was sleeping soundly, strapped into the seat. Before he had left the dwelling, he had laid his hands firmly on Gabe's back and transmitted to him the most soothing memory he could, a slow-swinging hammock under palm trees on an island someplace at evening, with the rhythmic sound of languid water lapping hypnotically against the beach nearby. As the memory seeped from him into this new child, he could feel Gabe's sleep ease and deepen. There had been no stir at all when Jonas lifted him from the crib and placed him gently into the molded seat. He knew that he had the remaining hours of night before they would be aware of his escape, so he rode hard, steadily, willing himself not to tire as the minutes and miles passed. There had been no time to receive the memories he and the giver had counted on of strength and courage, so he relied on what he had and hoped it would be enough. He circled the outlying communities, their dwellings dark. Gradually, the distances between communities widened, with longer stretches of empty road. His legs ached at first, then as time passed, they became numb. At dawn, Gabriel began to stir. They were in an isolated place. Fields on either side of the road were dotted with thickets of trees here and there, and he saw a stream and made his way across at a rutted, bumpy meadow. Gabriel, wide awake now, giggled as the bicycle jolted him up and down. Jonas strapped, unstrapped Gabe, lifted him from the bike, and watched him investigate the grass and twigs with delight. Carefully, he had hid the bicycle in thick bushes. Morning meal, Gabe. He unwrapped some of the food and fed them both. Then he filled the cup he had brought with water from the stream and held it for Gabriel to drink. He drank thirstily himself and sat by the stream watching the new child play. He was exhausted. He knew he must sleep, resting his own muscles and preparing himself for more hours on the bicycle. It would not be safe to travel in the daylight. They'd be looking for him soon. He found a place deeply hidden in the trees, took the new child there and lay down, holding Gabriel in his arms. Gabe struggled cheerfully as if it were a wrestling game, the kind they'd played back in the dwelling with tickles and laughter. Sorry, Gabe, Jonas told him. I know it's morning and I know you just woke up, but we have to sleep now. He cuddled the small body close to him and rubbed the little back. He murmured to Gabriel soothingly, then he pressed his hands firmly and transmitted a memory of deep, contented exhaustion. Gabriel's head nodded after a moment and fell against Jonas's chest. Together, the fugitives slept through the first dangerous day. The most terrifying thing was the plains. By now, days had passed. Jonas no longer knew how many. The journey had become automatic. The sleep by day, hidden in the underbrush and trees, the finding of water, the careful division of scraps of food augmented by what he could find in the fields, and the endless, endless miles on the bicycle by night. His leg muscles were taut now. They ached when he settled himself to sleep, but they were stronger, and he stopped now less often to rest. Sometimes he paused and lifted Gabriel down for a brief bit of exercise, running down the road for, or through a field together in the dark. But always when he returned, scrapped, strapped the uncomplaining toddler into the seat and remounted his legs were ready. So he had enough strength of his own and had not needed what the giver might have provided had there been time. But when the planes came, he wished that he could have received the courage. He knew they were search planes. They flew so low that they woke him with the noise of their engines, and sometimes looking out and fearfully from the hiding places, he could almost see the faces of the searchers. He knew they could not see color, and that their flesh as well as Gabriel's light golden curls would no be no more than smears of gray against the colorless foliage. But he remembered from his science and technology studies in school that the search planes used heat-seeking devices which could identify body warmth and would hone in, home in on two humans huddled in shrubbery. So always, when he heard the first aircraft sound, he reached to Gabriel and transmitted memories of snow, keeping some for himself. Together they became cold, and when the planes were gone, they would shiver, holding each other until sleep came again. Sometimes urging the memories into Gabriel, Jonas felt that they were more shallow, a little weaker than they had been. It was what he had hoped and what the giver, he and the giver had planned, that as he moved away from the community, he would shed the memories and leave them behind for the people. But now when he needed them, when the planes came, he tried hard to cling to what he had still had of cold and to use it for their survival. Usually the aircraft came by day when they were hidden, hiding, but he was alert at night too, on the road, always listening intently for the sound of the engines. 
Even Gabriel listened and would call out, Plane! Plane! Sometimes before Jonas had heard a terrifying noise. When the aircraft searchers came, as they did occasionally during the night as they rode, Jonas sped to the nearest tree or bush, dropped to the ground, and made himself and Gabriel cold. But it was sometimes a frighteningly close call. As he pedaled through the nights, through the isolated landscape now, with the communities far behind and no sign of human habit habitation around him or ahead, he was constantly vigilant, looking for the next nearest hiding place should the sound of engines come. But the frequency of the planes diminished. They came less often and flew when they did, less slowly, as if the search had become haphazard and no longer hopeful. Finally, there was an entire day and night when they did not come at all. All right, so Gabe and Jonas are on the run. We'll see what happens. We've got two more chapters left, guys. Have a good day.